Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are my People of the Book. Well, it's been a cracker of a week. My guest today, no stranger to People of the Book. Welcome to the show, Gail Schimmel. Hi, Janice. So nice to be here again. It is so nice to have you back on the show. And if Gail's back on the show, that means that Gail has a brand new book released on our shelves. And Gail, your new book is called Never Tell a Lie. And if you don't know Gail, Gail is not just an author because believe me, she has so much behind her. She's actually an admitted attorney. She has not one, but four degrees to her name. And she's also currently the CEO of the Advertising Regulatory Board. So if you watch TV, if there's something that bugs you about some ad, you send it Gail's way and she'll set that straight. Am I right? <laughs> um, more or less. I'm hoping we don't really send it my way. We have an online complaint form that will do the job better than me. Um, but yes, basically that is what I do. Is that quite a, a hectic thing? Do, do you get inundated? Do people still do that? Yeah, we have a regular stream. In and date, it's not the word. We have a regular stream that we cope with. Um, we probably get about between 50 and 100 complaints a month. It's advertising, TV, radio, newspaper, online, social media, all, all types of advertising. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a full-time job. Wow. That, that, like, that fascinates me. I, I didn't it is fascinating. Yeah. I have to say, I'm very yeah. lucky in that I have a, I have a fun day job and a fun side, what, what do you call my Side writing? hustle. Side hustle. Side hustle. It's a side, side hustle. hustle. I actually heard that on the radio this morning. It's a side hustle and apparently pretty much everyone is doing it. So, yeah. Um, so last time I spoke to you, what was your book before this? Was it the accident or was it two months? Two months. Um, it's been a bit confusing because two months is my last book locally, but internationally the accident was republished as the aftermath. Um, so, so it's a bit confusing for me which one's my last book because the aftermath came out after two months, but the accident <laughs> came out before two months. So the and accident I know, is yeah, the last. I know that is something that they, they tend to do, publishers tend to do change, change, uh, book titles. Why do they do that? This one, I have to be honest, I have no idea. Um, but it's, you know, I know that they, they're very much, they're about the, the gripping factor. They're about getting the audience's attention. You've got to cut through the clutter when you're competing internationally. You're competing with everybody and you've got to cut through the clutter. You've got to try and get to your, your audience by having a title at your audience. So I understand the theory. Why the aftermath is more that than the accident. I have no idea. I mean, I know they also change, they tend to change book covers and there were different book covers in different. Um, and characters names. Yes. Characters. characters names. So if you read the accident and you read the aftermath, you will re be reading different character names for some of the characters. Oh, wow. I didn't actually know that. Resulting in me having no idea what the people in that book are called. Don't ask <laughs> me to discuss them because I don't know their it's names It's like it's anymore. not even your book anymore. <laughs> 
That is actually really interesting. I didn't know they did that. I know that in different regions they they change book covers and they they as we say they change titles. That is interesting. I didn't know that about changing characters. So wow, we are chatting today with Gail Schimmel and we're talking about her new book, which has been released by Pan Macmillan. It's called Never Tell a Lie. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm back with my guest, and you are listening to People of the Book. I'm Janice Liebowitz, and my guest is Gail Schimmel. Gail, this new book, Never Tell a Lie, is this your lockdown baby? Um, I suppose it must be. You know, it's funny. I don't think of it as a lockdown baby because I have other writing projects which were very much lockdown babies and they were inspired by lockdown one in particular was inspired by lockdown and and I think of that as my lockdown writing but never tell a lie to draft during lockdown so I don't know why I'm not claiming it as a lockdown book I think in my head because it was it was commissioned before lockdown and it just was part of my ordinary writing process so I don't see it as a lockdown project really. Now, I know I was particularly very, very excited when this was released. And one of the reasons is that, firstly, I do get excited when local fiction authors release books, as we know. There is mm-hmm. such a plethora of non-fiction local titles that get released. There seems to be this obsession with political books and business books. And the novels and the fiction seem to get lost within those titles. So when a, a fiction title gets released by a local South African author, it really is something to celebrate. And apart from the fact that I adored this book, and I really, we are going to talk about it. I don't want to give away too much of the plot. Obviously, we don't want spoilers, but we are going to talk about it. But I really want the listener to know, I cannot emphasize this point enough, that I know that we have readers who think that South African authors still only write about the Boer War. Mm. Um, and when they hear it's a South African author, they automatically shut down, mm. block it out and say, no, I don't read local authors. There really are fabulous local fiction authors. Gail, you're one of them. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and the, the genre that you write is a particular favorite of mine as well, because it's, what, what do they call it? It's, it's local noir. I like to what, call it, it domestic noir. Domestic, domestic noir. noir. That's it. Domestic noir. And it's it's intriguing and it's gripping. It's page turning. It's unputdownable. This one in particular starts off with an invitation to a reunion. How did that idea come to you? Did you get an invitation to a school reunion? So uh, a few years, so it's, this starts off with the main character, Mary, gets an invitation to her 20th reunion. I wish I could say to you I went to my 20th reunion just the other day, but I didn't. I went to my 20th reunion about 10 years ago. So <laughs> I won't um, tell you how many years ago I went to my 20th reunion. In fact, yeah. Um, I went to my 20th reunion and I found that a very interesting experience. And what, what I took out of that was that I met people that I would swear I did not go to school with. Um, so... So this idea that you could meet someone new at your own school reunion, that was one of the ideas that obviously planted somewhere at the back of my brain. And then I went to another small reunion more recently where it was one of our number was in town and we had a small reunion. And I just found that whole dynamic of reconnecting with people that you knew at school fascinating. 
Um, and on, on so many levels, it's fascinating. I think you, you put some demons to bed. Um, you know, the people that seemed unbearably cool and like everything was going to just turn out perfectly in their lives are living absolutely normal human lives. Um, just like you and I. And, and there was something, there's something very settling about that. Um, and, and just there's so many levels that it's fascinating how, how we, feel about it, how we want to impress these people, even though they're not really part of our lives anymore, um, how we judge them. We judge quite harshly. So someone you knew when you were 17 gets judged quite harshly for being gray and overweight. But um, you meet a new gray overweight person and you're not judging them harshly. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's so, there's so many aspects that are interesting about this. I find with this whole reunion thing, some people especially the people and it's you do mention it in, in the book the people who were you know in the in group you know the the rugby captains and the you, you know those those in people the people who were in the it crowd those people are the ones who are embracing it and they're running the show and everyone else is kind of you know they're quite reticent they're not really going but they end up going you know, because they tell themselves they're not going, but they know all along that they're actually going to go. And they land up going. And as you say, you know, I remember, of course, my, my memory is not as good as it used to be. But I had a friend who always used to rely on me to remember who everyone was. And she says, I remember yeah. so-and-so. And I used to say, oh, yes, and I used to know their name. Now I can't do that anymore. Um, because I am so much So older. I still remember, like, primary school people I remember, like, you, I can probably name my entire primary school class. I can't do that. But anymore. ask me who I met yesterday. I can't tell you their name. You see, I, I just, you know, you, you, your memories and, and I think when you get together with these people, the perception is so skewed. They'll have a, a completely different perception of what happened back then mm. than someone mm. else or, or than you. Absolutely. And, and, and that's exactly what happens in this book. Yes. Yes. And that we are also formed by that time of our life and we, we perceiving things and we perceiving ourselves as the heroes of our own drama because that's life. You are the hero of your own drama, but everybody was the hero of their own dramas. And the people that you perceive to be having a really easy time at high school might have been going through hell. I find that aspect of it very interesting as well. But yes, the how do we remember things and what actually happened back then and what bearing does it have on today? That's very much what the book is about. It's very much what the book is about. And um Mary, your your main character, arrives at this at this reunion. She arrives with her best friend, Stacey, and they swear that no matter what happens, they are not separating at this reunion. They are sticking to each other. And they are going to be each other's wingman. And what happens? They arrive, discover that they have been placed at different tables. And Stacy swans off happily into the sunset with someone who was her friend at school. They had a big bust up. But all of a sudden, on the night, big buds again, leaving Mary to go and find her own table and to see who she's sitting with. And there is sitting April. She vaguely remembers, but isn't sure, but she knows something happened with April. There was some story associated with her, and she has no clue what it was. And I was thinking, well, if I was April, would I have shown up at this reunion? I mean, I suppose that's an interesting question when we, once once at the end of the book, we finally find out what the story was. Yes. 
perhaps perhaps April was looking for redemption, or perhaps April in her mind doesn't remember it as such a scandalous story as it was, because April, remember, April always knew the truth of what happened, which is not as bad as the perception of what happened. Yes. It's very hard to talk about this without giving yes, yes. spoilers. Sorry, put you on the spot um, there. Perhaps April was also looking for redemption um, for, for what happened. And, and, you know, from April's perception, she goes to the reunion, and indeed she has been forgiven for what happened, but, but possibly because... Mary and many other people don't really properly remember what happened or have as adults replayed in their head what happened and given it a new interpretation. You know, think about those dramas when you're in high school that you look back and you go, what the hell was that about? Why was that such a big drama? And also April has grown up and moved on. She has. She has. They've all grown up and moved on, except it's still going to haunt April. Yes. <laughs> Ta-da-da-da. <laughs> Ta-da-da-da. <laughs> Go and buy the book. I'm talking to the author of Never Tell a Lie, Gail Schimmel. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. You are listening to People of the Book. I'm Janice Liebowitz, and my guest today is Gail Schimmel. We're talking about her brand new book, Never Tell a Lie, and really, I highly recommend it. Go and buy it, because and then clear your schedule, because once you start reading it, you won't put it down, and nothing else is going to get done. So just make sure you have nothing really pressing planned for that day or the next couple of days, however long it takes you to read it. So, Gail, before the break, we were talking about this reunion, the high school reunion. That that is the the trigger for everything that that then happens in this book. And Mary goes to this reunion and she reconnects with April, who she doesn't actually really remember that well from high school. They weren't friends. And she reconnects with her and she reconnects with a couple of other people as well. And in fact, the people who she sits with at her table who were in her high school class, they actually start to form a little friendship and you start to see how people have changed since high school. You know, obviously people grow up and they become who they were meant to be. And you start to see the difference between friendships and relationships, how we we perceive them. And what was interesting to me especially the way you you played the male and the female relationships and the perception and the difference between how men and women perceive relationships. Tell me about that. <laughs> I feel like you're referring to some some plot, something that we can't mention, but that I'm not clear on what we're referring to. I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm generalizing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about anything in particular. But I'm generalized. There's a difference between male and female friendships. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Female, yes. like women get different things from their different friends. They have different yeah. friends for different things and different friends serve different purposes. Because Mary starts to form a very close friendship with April, but you kind of think, well, what happened to the best friend that she rocked up at the reunion? What there was Stacy and where's she? But you learn further on in the book that Stacy is still that rock who Mary Absolutely. will always depend on. That, that's what yeah. I'm talking about when I say that, that, that in female friendships, you know, you've got different friends, different purposes. Whereas men are like, hey, yeah. okay, let's have a beer, let's stand by the bra, and everyone's just kind of 
Hey, my oaks, let's just, you know, we, we buds. Although, are they? Are they? Or is that how women perceive them? Do we think their friendships are uncomplicated and actually they're seething masses of complication underneath underneath the Hamer Oak surface. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think that's complicated as ours. And I don't think exactly what you said. I think we get an enormous, the role of friendships in our lives is so important. It's it's fundamental to to how we cope almost. Um, you yes. know, the quality of your friendships speaks to the quality of your life. I think for women to a greater degree than men. And definitely we see Mary when she reconnects with April and there's an exciting new friend in her life. And it does, it ups the quality of her life. It, it makes her life interesting. She feels that, although at the same time, she's embarking on a new romantic relationship. So she's on several levels more stimulated than she's been before. And I think, I hope one of the subtle plots of the book is her friendship with Stacey. Yes. And that, that, that message of sometimes it's your old rock that's your real rock. Definitely. What I loved was, as you say, she's embarking on this new relationship with Joshua, but there's that nervousness. She's developed this new friendship with, with April as well. And there's that, that nervousness about, well, she's got this new boyfriend and she really wants them to both be friends with, with April and her husband so that they can have this couple bond. Mm-hmm. So there's that as well, you know, because if if your if your boyfriend and your husband, or if you if if you're married and your husband doesn't get on with your yeah. your friends, there's there's all of these dynamics, and totally. they are and they're it's important. Such a big thing in life. Yeah, yeah, they are important. It really is. Um, it is such an interesting thing, and it's it's the it adds that layer to friendships that that you don't have to worry about if you're making friends only as, you know, only the women are making friends and you're not going to try and take it to that level of having dinner together with each other's husbands. Um, And I always find that a very interesting point of friendship when you take it to that next level. Yes. And this actually plays a huge role in the plot, this dynamic between the couples and their friendship and their relationships and what they know about each other and what they and how their friendship strengthens, how it grows, what they learn about each other and what they know about each other and what they think they know about each other. Because April's mm-hmm. husband is actually quite a prominent figure, both yes. locally, globally. He's he's well known in his in his role, in what he does in his career. I'm not going to say what he does, who he is. I'll leave that's that. That's OK. I think you can say what he does. I don't think that's a secret, is that? <laughs> I'm not anxious about everything. <laughs> I don't want to say because I mean, then Joshua wants to learn from him, and he wants, you know, he's yeah. Let's just leave it as it is. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, because yeah, no, let, we'll we'll leave it as it is. But it does it plays a huge role because with the dynamic of the relationship and. With the way that April starts behaving and what Mary starts to learn with what April starts hinting at and with the way Leo starts behaving with, with everything, it all plays a role with what Joshua starts to understand, with what Mary starts believing. It all starts to spiral and it all play, they all play off one another. Absolutely. Yes. And one would hope that in our relationships, and in our friendships, whether they are with our girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, couples, 
one would hope that things do not get that complicated and that complex. One would hope it would be a little bit easier than this. But obviously, that is not the point of your plot because you want it to be complex and complicated. You want to keep the reader guessing. Yeah, it would be a quite a boring <laughs> book. And then we made <laughs> friends and remained steadily Actually. friends and had many happy encounters the end. <laughs> There's also... A, a whole different aspect of the plot when it comes to Mary's relationship with her father and that whole, yes. that whole different, um, side of things. Tell me about that without giving anything yes, so Mary, away. Without giving anything away is hard. Um, I think we can give a small bit away because it happens quite early. So Mary, Mary has grown up believing that her mother died when she was two. And she was brought up by her father and she's very close to her father. And her father in, is her rock. I mean, her father is, he has been a good father to her and he has stood by her through very difficult times. And early in the book, just before she goes to the reunion, Mary is helping her father tidy up his books and a postcard falls out of the book. And the postcard is a postcard from Mary's mother to Mary's father, but it's dated after her death. What is going on? And now Mary goes to the reunion heavy with this, with this. She doesn't even know what it is she knows, but she knows something is wrong. She hasn't confronted her father. She doesn't know what to do with this, but she knows something is wrong. And she goes to the reunion heavy with this knowledge. And maybe that is something that influences how the friendships play out as well. Um, but certainly it's something that's going to have an effect on her relationship with her father and the plot of the rest of the book. I must say, while I was writing this, um, in the last few years, I've got very into listening to podcasts. And one of the podcasts I listen to is a podcast called Family Secrets. And Family Secrets always talks, it talks about a secret that's been kept in a family from part of the family or all of the family. And it's always different secrets and it's fascinating. And they always talk about how people who discover a family secret often have a sense of course and find actually somewhere in their bones they knew all along. They knew something wasn't right. They knew something wasn't adding up and they have a sense of relief. And I think that's something I, I wanted to explore, that idea of discovering a terrible family secret, but on some level accepting it quite easily because it makes better sense of your life. Are you saying that Mary had the sense that something was going on? Because she didn't seem to, before that, have ever realized. She never, yeah, she never doubted what her father had told her. She never questioned what her father had told her. But at the same time, almost as soon as she saw that postcard, she started putting it together. She never thought this cannot be, there's a reasonable explanation. She might have tried to convince herself, but her reaction she immediately knows she stumbled on something important. And, you know, I think if, I think if Mary didn't have that sense, she would have gone straight to her father and said, huh, what, what's going on here? But she knew she'd stumbled on something important. And yeah, and she leaves it and she simmers over it and it simmers inside her and it, it, it changes her relationship with her father somewhat. And this is also okay. where her friendship with Stacey shows up. And where you understand, even though Stacy seems to disappear off the scene, this is where you understand how important that long-term friendship and that friendship yeah. that has, has been with you for so many years plays such an important role. 
when you think, oh, you got this new friendship and you discard the old friendship, that's not what happens. This is where the friend, that, that long-term friendship plays such an important role. Gail, there's a line in the book that uh, I just loved. I mean, there are many lines in the book that I love. I love the book. But there's a line in the book that I think is incredible. Understanding is one thing, forgiveness another. I love that. Okay. Talk me through that. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't it true? It's a hundred percent true. I, I think it is. I think it is. I think forgiveness is a much, much harder than understanding why someone does something. Forgiving them for doing it is a whole other measure. And I think sometimes one can't. I think sometimes understanding doesn't lead to forgiveness. Yes, understanding doesn't always need to lead to forgiveness. Even though you understand something, yeah, people always say, oh, I understand now you can forgive them. It's over. Closure, finish, done. But that's not the way it always works. And sometimes we don't forgive. And that's okay. I think that's something also, I mean, I'll probably let me make a note. Um, <laughs> something I might return to in a book. But sometimes it's okay not to forgive people. And people expect forgiveness, don't they? They do. They do. Um, although, and there's a question in this book of several people do bad things. Some of those bad things are things you can forgive. Some of those bad things are things you cannot forgive. Absolutely. And and there's a question. It's quite, it, it reminds me of Jodie Pickle book, Pic, Pico. I know it's, people call her Jodie Pickles. <laughs> it's the Jodie Pickles um, scenario. And that's how she writes her books. She writes her books very much on the what if scenario. I think that's, that's, it's one of the ways writers get our ideas. It's definitely, I'm a what if writer. I go into every situation in life and then I go, what if? And think of the bad outcome. Um, and it's most of my book ideas have come from just having a chat with someone and then suddenly thinking, what if? And then a whole book idea will be born. Um, so that, that is where I get most of mine. And this is definitely a what if book. What if you, what if the version of what your friend is telling you is not the version somebody else would tell you. That's where the core idea of this book came from. Well, there is always that concept of, um, you know, his truth, her yeah. truth, and in yes. between. Yes, you know. and the actual so, truth. Yes. Yeah, and the actual truth. Yeah. The yeah. interesting part about this particular book, I mean, also, again, without giving too much away, Mary's situation is quite unique in that she had a husband. She's, she's, she's single. She's living with her son. I love his name. Django. Where did you get that name? It came to me. He wanted to be Django. And then I Googled it a bit and I was like, Oh, I don't know if this is the right name, but he, you know, it's so seldom my characters are very insistent on their names that when they are, I let them, I let them keep them. I love that. And in fact, with this, you know, you sometimes edit it out of your names. Mary wasn't Mary's first name and Joshua wasn't Joshua's first name. And I can tell you a very funny story about that. But, um, Django, I wasn't going to change because he wanted, that was the name he wanted. So Mary had a situation with her husband. She was not in a happy marriage. She was not in a safe marriage. What would Mary have done, do you think, if her marriage had not ended the way it did? So this is quite an interesting question. 
because there was a previous version of the book. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> so, you know, you write a version and then you get edited. Um, and there was a, there was a plot line that I took out that would have answered your question, but would have cast Mary in quite a different light. Um, so what would Mary have done in this plot iteration if she had not got out of that marriage? I, I, I think I like to think she would have eventually left. I like to think because Mary is essentially a strong person and she is essentially a person who will protect her child, whatever it takes. And I think that she would have eventually left that marriage. I think. And would her father have gone after that husband? Interesting question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're making me write a new book. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because is her father a person who goes after people, whether for good reasons or bad reasons? We we know by the end of the book, we know the answer to that question. Her father's weakness is perhaps that he lets problems walk away from him. I don't know. Good question. <laughs> but it didn't happen like that. So it doesn't, doesn't happen like that. <laughs> It didn't happen like that. We are talking about Gail Schimmel's brand new book, Never Tell a Lie. I really suggest you go and get it. It is riveting. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back with my guest. You're listening to People of the Book. I'm Janice Leibovitz and I'm talking to Gail Schimmel. We've been talking about her new book, Never tell a lie. And before the break, we were talking about interesting plot lines that get written, get edited out, get changed, go one way, land up going another way. <laughs> Do you get disappointed when you write it one way and then it, the editor says, no, no, redo that? So this book's probably been the harshest editing experience I've had. And it's because it's the first book I've written under an international deal from scratch. So the after... The aftermath slash the accident was a slight rewrite of an existing book, but this one I wrote from scratch and then, and then they edited more harshly. It's been very interesting. I love being edited. I have to say being edited is never a problem for me. I love that someone's engaging with your book as much as you are. Like they, they care about your characters like you care about your characters. And it's insane that you, you have someone You've made these people up and now you have someone debating with you the nature of their characters. You're like, I made their character up, um, but, but you're debating what they would wear out. Um, and that sort of thing. And I love that. I love that process of editing that people are as engaged as you are in that imaginary world you've created. Um, but this, this one was, uh, there, there were aspects I was sad to, to lose, but it's probably a better book for it. And you use beta readers as well. They also, you don't. I don't use beta readers. I've once tried using beta readers. It's just not a method that works for me. Um, partly because you get very different feedback from different people. And then you've got to kind of evaluate, well, whose feedback is real and whose feedback is not. And, and I, I would rather get the feedback from my, from an editor. Who, because they're the one who's going to have to say in the end which way it goes. So I'd rather get that one trusted, that one trusted source of feedback 
um, rather than trying to. And I saw someone on Twitter the other day saying they were looking for another set of beta readers because they got so confused by their first set of beta readers. And I was like, that's the thing that, that I think that works for some people. If you have a trusted group of beta readers and who, who know what you're looking for and who, who are kind of giving you the feedback you need on the level that you need it, I'm sure that it can be a great way to work. I think also because and until recently, I have been a very private and very lonely writer. I don't, until recently, talk about what I'm writing while I'm writing it. I I don't tell my publisher they've got to trust that they're going to get a book at the end of the process, and I just write what I want to write. Um, and I don't talk about it with anyone. I don't I don't discuss the plot. And I learned the hard way. Um, although again, this has not changed. But this, well, after I wrote my first novel. The second novel I discussed, I was like, oh, now I've got an editor and a publisher and I can discuss things. And I discussed the plot of the book I wanted to write next. And then I told the story and I didn't want to write it because I told the story. So I learned that part of writing for me is that need to tell the story. So if I tell the story, I lose a bit of that magic. But then when you when you get an international deal, you don't have that luxury. And because they will only buy the book if you tell them what it's going to be about. So. So um, I've had to learn now, and with Never Tell a Lie, I discovered I can tell the story and then still write the book. Thank goodness. Um, so I'm over that particular hiccup. But for me, writing is quite a private thing, unless you're co-writing. And that's where it's changed for me that I've done a lot of co-writing projects in the last few years. Tell me about your current co-writing project. So I have two current co-writing project <laughs> tell me about um, the one that's currently going on with three other very well-known local okay. authors this is my big lockdown project when the book festivals were cancelled um amy hadendrich pam Pye, connie tuloxton and i were heartbroken and so we did what writers do when they're heartbroken and we decided to write a book together um, you know, doesn't everybody do that? Oh, of um, and we, <laughs> and we came up with this very fun project where we, we had a basic outline of a plot and we each wrote a chapter, we each wrote a character and I'd write my chapter and then I'd pass it on to the next writer and she'd write her chapter and we could throw each other into difficult situations and we could throw curveballs and we wrote it and we just had the most enormous fun. And then, at the end, we were like, well, we should probably show this to someone. And we've, we're very lucky. Um, Pan Macmillan loved it and they are publishing it early next year. And we are currently, and when I say currently, I mean like very actively currently working on their first round of edits for that book. And I know that I, for one, am so excited. <laughs> and I know I might be biased because I know all of you and you know, I, I engage with all of you and I am absolutely thrilled for all of you. So I am so looking forward to to the release of that publication and the release of that book and to chatting to all of you about it in the very near future. <laughs> because chaos. because yeah, that chaos. is chaos. I know, I know, I know you're all <laughs> chaos altogether, but it's fun chaos, it's fabulous chaos, and I cannot wait. And you do know that you're saying um, release early next year. You do know that early next year is pretty soon. It is pretty soon and it's, it's working. We're working on quite a tight, um, timeline. I've never, I've never, I was like, early next year, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? 
Um, but apparently we're going to manage to pull it off. Um, so we, you know, <laughs> but also we want, we, we all want the book to be the best version that it can be by the time it hits the shelves. So if we hit a bump, then we will hit a bump, but I don't think we will. And it's a fun light book. It's please don't expect to be, um, frightened or thrilled like some of our writing alone. This is fun and light and easy reading. I cannot wait. Gail Schimmel, it has been fantastic chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time. I have loved our conversation. Me too. Always fun. Always fun. And if you're listening, then the title of the book is Never Tell a Lie. Where is it available, Gail? Everywhere. It's available at Exclusive Books. It's available. (laughs) Um, But online, internationally, it will only be available from the end of November. Okay. So look out for that if you're looking to buy it online. But locally, you'll be able to get it at Exclusive Books, all good bookshops, what Reader's Warehouse, Bargain Books, everywhere. Um, As I said, clear your calendar if you're sitting down to read this, because I promise you, you are not going to get anything else done once you start this one. Never Tell a Lie by Gail Schimmel. Thank you so much for joining me, Gail. And as I always say, thank you again for being part of 101.9 High FM's life for the past 13 years. It's been wonderful having you along with us and take care of yourself and each other. Wear a mask, get vaccinated and read a book.